Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. While every financial institution talks about digital transformation, the process is never easy. Melding modern solutions with legacy processes requires focus, commitment, and the support of people from across an organization. Research by the Digital Bank Report finds that digital transformation is the most difficult at financial institutions with assets between $50 billion and $500 billion. This is often due to legacy leadership that fights off changes that are more difficult than anticipated and don't put down the money needed to make the investment where it's need to be made. We have Melissa Stevens, EVP and Chief Marketing Officer at Fifth Third Bank on the Bank and Transform podcast. Melissa shares the digital transformation journey at Fifth Third and the lessons she's learned along the way. Headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, Fifth Third Bank is one of the largest financial institutions in the Midwest. With assets of over $200 billion and more than 200,000 employees, it is steeped in tradition with a focus on being future ready. So, Melissa... You have an extensive career in banking, having spent a large amount of your time at Citibank before joining Fifth Third close to seven years ago. Two questions. First, what drew you to Fifth Third? And secondly, how did your time at City help you in the adjustment to Fifth Third? Yeah, thanks, Jim, and thanks for having me today. Um, what drew me to Fifth Third are a couple of things. First, um, a really dear friend and colleague of mine that I was working with had gotten to a point in her career where she said, sometimes you got to go where the grass is fed differently just to see how you can explore and how you can experiment. And it was time for me to do that. City was wonderful to me. I had a fantastic many different careers there, but it's time to try something else. And honestly, if you would have told me in January of 2016 that by that summer I'd be living in what I formerly considered a flyover state, uh, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, but the reality is Fifth Third was on the up and up, had really structured themselves in an impressive way. And I came and I stay for the same three reasons. One, it is truly a relationship-based bank in terms of how we treat our employees, how we treat our clients, and how we interact in the community. But with everything that happened after the financial crisis, we'd lost our way a little bit in how to do it. And I felt like I could be a positive advocate and a change agent for that. The second thing is we had a CEO at the time and now a new CEO who had a technology background. He actually isn't a banker, having been in banking my whole career. Most people have done the commercial banking track. They've been the CFO of the company. They become the CEO. He was uh, at GE, then at Emerson, and entered Fifth Third as an actual CIO. And to come as a CIO, then move into operating P&Ls, and then move into CEO was impressive to me. It told me that we had a company that was dedicated to transformation and technology and just overall development, but not in love with tech for tech's sake. And so that was the second reason. And the third was, frankly, being part of a company that cares so much about its community and about the economy around it, it was a chance to be part of some place where you are expected to volunteer in your community. You are expected to be an advocate. It's not that I didn't have that before. It's that I worked at such a large company. You didn't see the impact on individual hearts the way that you could come, the, the way that you could at Fifth Third. And those three reasons are why I came. And seven years later, if I make it to May, that's why I stay. 
You know, that's amazing. As I mentioned before the podcast, I have a bit of a history with Fifth Third Bank having worked with them at a through a previous employer. And it's interesting because Fifth Third was, as as Cincinnati is, a very conservative, was a very conservative organization that didn't take a whole lot of chances. They were known for their continuous return for shareholders. And, and very much like many of the financial institutions in Ohio that remain surprisingly independent. Um, when you look when you look at the the large financial institutions and you look at Key Bank, I, I'm going to say National City Bank, PNC, because I have legacy there. You look at Huntington, you look at yourselves, and it's very interesting how each of them have taken different paths towards innovation, digital transformation, and just embell embolding embolden themselves upon which where they can grow going forward. I, you know, when you joined Fifth Third, you were in charge of digital and innovation. You then assumed the, the role of head of marketing as well. Over the past seven years, what did you see as the biggest challenge? And what have you done to address those challenges? Yeah, it's there are certainly, I like to say, opportunities everywhere uh, in, in our company and in our industry. It, frankly, the first challenge I experienced, which is a little bit the size of the bank, the little bit the um, humbleness of the culture of Cincinnati and of the Midwest region, there was a lack of belief that we could. And I don't mean by the company at large, we were aligned at the executive levels and at the board level, but individuals actually believing that we could do it, we could change, we could move in a different direction. And so as I got started on building our strategy for digital transformation, people kept saying, well, tech prioritization will be difficult or you won't have enough money. And I said, those have never been a challenge for me in my entire career. I had a lot of support at City. We did a lot of fantastic things. Things. The problem is usually not those. It's actually people's hearts and their heads and convincing them that they can be part of that change. And so as silly as it might sound, it was the people part. And it's always the people part. It's first having the belief, then having the skills. And we've done a lot of upskilling, some reskilling, and we frankly bought a lot of new people in. So we trained some up, we moved some over, and we brought people from the outside because we needed a culture and a set of skills that could actually bring break us through. So that, that's that been the biggest challenge along the way. The money figures its way out. The technology platforms and the prioritization, they come along if you have the right strategy and the right initiatives underneath it. But you've got to have the people part of the problem, part of the solution versus part of the problem. You know, that's interesting because you referenced it earlier that your last two CEOs have both been tech people. Um, that's a bold move, but it's required in order for what I'm going to call a midsize, a large midsize financial mm -hmm. institution to move forward. Those that aren't successful are usually steeped with legacy leadership that continues to do things the way they've done them in the past, by the way, very successfully and mm -hmm. profitably. But the challenge is change sucks and nobody <laughs> likes to change. Right. And unless you have leadership that in really allows employees and customers to take the changes that are necessary, you're going to fail. Um, right. You know, it, just from listening to the way you speak, obviously you're given the, the runway to do things that are not necessarily legacy-based and to try new things. So, you know, Fifth Third has referenced a transformation strategy that's going to enhance digital engagement and service capabilities. 
What are your top priorities today? Yeah. So I'd say if I go very high level for the bank and then I'll break it into digital, um, we're really focused on three huge things, right? One is being a connected company, connected with our customers, with our employees and with our communities. Two, we're focused a ton on innovation. And there are two big pieces of this, and this is massively where the digital transformation comes in. One is how do you lean out your processes? How do you really create value and make sure that we're doing the best we can for clients every single day? And two is how do you essentially turn over the core, right? And you can't let that distract you. A lot of people think, well, I gotta hollow out the core or modernize the core before I can actually do the digital transformation. You can do both. So in in driving innovation, we're working on the processes, right? We're working on the tech from a core standpoint, but we're also working on creating differentiated and innovative products. And that's where digital has been huge for us. And so the third we've been doing is driving organic growth. And we're a bit unique in our ability to drive organic growth compared to our, our peers at this point, which we're very proud of and we're continuing to invest in. Then when I looked at digital and say, well, what are the priorities? Well, we've spent the last six years of my tenure driving an overall transformation strategy that really was about a a centralized digital team, yes, and getting the solutions that our clients need from the channel standpoint, right? The app that you have on your phone, the portal that you use if you're a business client. But secondly, we actually really advanced on partnering with fintechs, right? And that was important to us, both in terms of investing from a private equity standpoint, but also in terms of commercializing solutions. We don't believe that we need to build them ourselves. We can partner with others and actually scale it in a way that's better for clients. And the third is we have bought some fintechs and been very, very successful with it. Our first was a really, really small app called Dobot, which was an automated savings app for consumers. Next was Provide, which is a medical practice, healthcare finance to you're looking to buy a dentist um, office, but you need help in the financing. You need help in getting that going. Um, And that's been incredibly successful for us. And just this past year, we closed on Dividend Financial, which is a started out as a residential solar financing company and is expanding across various renewables. And so for us, it was the three parts, right? It's not one thing. And within each of those, um, it's been about what are what are the priorities to do? But it's a mix and match, not a one single thing. So when you're talking about partnerships, be, be it acquiring or partnering with fintechs or even partnering or collaborating with third party providers that can solve certain solutions, mm-hmm. how do you select the partners for these endeavors? Yeah, it's a great question. We we have a couple of ways that we do it and it's a little bit dependent on the size. So number one, when you're talking about a very specific solution, you know, let's take something like mobile check deposit. We're looking for the providers that are the best in breed at it, that are doing the best out there. And frankly, that probably everybody is using, every major bank is using, but how can we then make the experience differentiated, make the experience better and keep optimizing? When it comes to fintechs, we've always got our eye on two things. One, is somebody got, are they solving a real problem? And is it a problem that we believe we need to solve for clients? And two, how's the leadership looking there, right? Like, are the right people leading it in the direction that they need, that they that the company needs it to go, that we need it to go, that the solution has to, has to go? And sometimes that means we invest in a fintech, and sometimes that means we start doing business with them directly and 
provide the solution to our clients. And other times it's meant purchasing them to really fill out our portfolio. But if I look at the last five years, we essentially have built fintechs and we have bought them and we have partnered with them and we've got great solutions as a result. And that mix, if you will, is working really well for us. So you, you've talked about top of glass improvements. A lot of this really hinges on being able to work on the behind the scenes yep. or behind the glass yep. items, the processes. And, and yep. you know, we have a hard time as an industry getting out of our own way in embracing new ways of doing things. How do you do that at Fifth Third? Yeah, well, <laughs> let me say this. We have a lot of opportunity still, and we're excited to keep working on it. But I have actually done a lot of using outside of our industry examples to essentially point out how ridiculous it is that we are as behind as we are, right? And um, having spent uh, almost two decades in New York and early in my career, two tours in the mortgage business, my language sometimes gets a little more colorful than my region might enjoy. But I say things like, hey, if I can know with a Domino's pizza order, the status at every single step of the way of, is it in the oven? Is it in the box? It is in the car with the driver. And can I have my uh, smart app actually flash lights on and off so that you know to stop at my house on that dark street? Why can't I know the status of my loan application every step of the way, right? Why are so many human beings involved? If Amazon can unlock my front door or wait for me to unlock my front door, put it inside, take a picture and load it into the app immediately, why can't we tell people the same thing about their status? And so I pull examples from food, yep. from retail, like anybody would do, right? Oh, yeah. Because that outside in example says, this is the art of the possible. And not only that, that's what we're being compared to. If you're the CFO of a mid-sized company that, you, that banks with us, you're comparing us to your individual consumer experience, to that trip you took to Disney with your family, right? To the amazing return experience you had with Zappos or to the unbelievable dinner you had at the fancy restaurant you went to. And so that's a lot is first the mindset and shifting the mindset. The second thing is a lot of client um, involvement. So we have brought and I have brought a method of you know, how do you know what the client wants? How do you know what they need? Surveys are not enough. We have to step back and look at what's the job to be done? What's the problem to be solved? If I take consumers, the first thing we did with the mobile app that we just launched in November was step back, work on the core technology, but also say, what does somebody really come to a mobile app to do for a bank? Well, it's their everyday banking. It's the basics. I need a place to get paid and get my paycheck to come to me, whether my paycheck is from a company or it's my social security check from the government or it's an alimony check uh, for the relationship that I've been in, right? I gotta get paid. Then I gotta pay other people, right? I might have to pay my water bill. I might have to sell money to you, but I've gotta get money out of my account. And then hopefully I've got some savings going on. And certainly and once in a while I need to finance a large purchase, right? the new TV, the summer vacation. And so we really start in our approach with what is the job that the client is trying to get done. And we've done the same thing with our treasury management solutions. And that allows us to really break it down to the fundamentals and not get too in love too fast with the cool user interface. That'll come later. First, what's the core? And when you ask the question, Jim, about process, well, that leads you right to process because when you step back and say, I opened a business and I need to open a new account so I can actually do uh, payments. And it takes you 20, 30, 40 days to open that deposit account. 
that's a problem for the business, right? Yeah. We got to lean bit. out that process. It yep. takes us three days, five days now. That is acceptable. There's back and forth on some electronic signatures and some funds that works for us. So to me, it always starts with the customer or the client and what's the problem to be solved. The other approach is I literally often will say to my team, great job on whatever we did. This is called a blank piece of paper. If it were your money and your family eats this weekend or they don't eat this weekend, how are we spending the money and what is the real way to do this? Because in banking for so long, we've said, it's a regulatory thing. Oh, there's so much compliance, right? Or we've said, hey, I'm gonna make it 50% faster than it was before. I don't know, 50% faster might still be terrible, right? So you gotta start with, if I were a new company and it was my family's money, what is the way I would actually solve this problem? That flipping the script for us has been a big part of how we've done the differentiation and the digital transformation. It's interesting, PPP loans has certainly given us a good excuse for looking back and going, guys, we got something on a Thursday and came out on Monday with a brand new product that the government created for us. Don't tell me we can't do it. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I I do the same thing. I look at Apple Card and say, guys, it is four clicks on my mobile phone to get an Apple Card. It, it, It is fewer touch touch with my fingers than it was for the 16 digit number of putting in my my new credit card number you know that's what we're living to and you know a major component of digital transformation is people Mm -hmm. which is an increasing area of differentiation in the marketplace but it's also a stumbling block because every move we make towards digital sometimes in the minds of employees threatens their existing position how do you hire, train, and empower current employees to really work towards digital transformation at Fifth Third? Yeah, we. So, a couple of things. One, we. I talk personally and and advocate that the human connection is actually the hero of the relationship. So everything we're trying to do is to enable a better human connection with our clients. That doesn't mean that we're always gonna see each other in person or talk on the phone, or I'm gonna personally process everything for you if you're the customer, but it does mean that what we're trying to do is augment the greatness of of our people so that they can actually spend time on the higher value things. So that's the message that we're out and about with. The second thing is we ask people what would help them. And I've actually spent a fair amount of our team's bandwidth on improving digital interfaces and processes for employees not just for the end customer, right? Because if I can't do something simply and easily, how am I gonna tell other people that my company's good at it? So that's been the second thing is, hey, give me an example of something that isn't working well for you and how you do your job every day. And then we'll digitize that, we'll fix that, we'll help with the process. We'll build you a much prettier screen to look at than the one that you've been looking at that's easier to your point on four clicks, four tabs. So that's the second one is letting employees participate in solving even their own problems. Um, And then the third thing is, and even our CEO does this, we make sure to talk to our employees all the time about, this isn't about displacing, it's about actually giving you the skills, as you said at the opening, right? Fitting ourselves for the future, right? How do we make ourselves as individuals future compatible? 
And how do we make sure the company's going to succeed in the future? So that's, it's, it's a lot. It, I hate to like sound basic, but it's culture, right? It's communication, it's culture, it's reassurance. The other thing is we've done a couple times and we've got to do more of this, but we've done kind of like a product hackathon type thing where any employee can come with an idea and they can present it. We can talk about it. We're going to get better about that from an innovation standpoint, but letting people feel part of it versus I'm doing something to you has really been key for Fifth Third. So it's interesting, you know, when, when your role is both in charge of digital transformation and if I'm not mistaken, you're also in charge of marketing, correct? Uh-huh. A lot, usually I see that at smaller institutions where the person who's in marketing is also in charge of digital transformation, but you're no small organization. How do you handle both? But more importantly, how do you see marketing and being the, the head digital person at, at a large financial institution working together? Yeah, um, that was a question a lot of the marketers asked when we all came together. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah, I said, why, well, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I gave a little bit of the, the marketing things I did when I was at City, but I also said, you know, here's the thing. the if you start with the customer first, if you start with how are people receiving things, if you start with what does marketing look like now versus it looked like 10, 20 years ago, it's all about data, personalization, different ways of mod, you know, models, using machine learning. That at its core is tech and digital. And so talking with folks about how do we bring these capabilities together so we can all do better has been a big piece of it. The other thing is I'm, my ultimate goal is that Fifth Third thrives in the digital world, not survives like a lot of companies and banks do, but actually is thriving, is leading, is differentiating. And we need marketing to be a huge part of that. So ultimately, I, I'm of the mindset that if every person in the company had some type of digital experience or expertise, then we've actually gotten to the place I'm trying to get us. I'm not looking to own a transformation strategy or a channel or things of that nature. I'm looking for it to be embedded in the way we do business. Because for everyone who says, oh, we're digital first, we took a digital first approach. If you sit with a traditional product leader and they don't first talk about how to do this, like you said, the Apple card way, then we actually are not digital first. So that's actually where our digital transformation is going. The marketing needs a ton of it too. We do amazing things, but we also know we need to reinvent ourselves because what worked with customers or prospects five years ago isn't gonna work two, three, four years from now, right? You can name any of the things you've talked about on here, including I think the most recent one on uh, chat GPT and where AI is going. The world's changing and we can either choose to go with it and ahead of it or choose to be behind it. And I prefer to be in the front of it. So th this is, an, it almost gets to the foundation again with my question here, but just like every other financial institution, Fifth Third is sometimes playing catch up between what employees and customer expectations are around mm -hmm. digital transformation. How do you keep the focus on internal and external experiences at a time when many financial institutions use technology mainly to cut costs? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I'd say we do our best to talk often and cascade messages about where our focus is, right? So we, we know in certain cases, and we're, we're open about this with our employee base, we know in certain cases that 
some solutions going to be put in place and those jobs are going to be displaced, right? But we are clear that we all have a job to optimize our spend. We all need to improve the efficiency ratio. And that's where it comes to the processes, whether we put a bot in to handle something that was human manual before, or whether we just get rid of the process, that is gonna create efficiency for the company. And that doesn't mean you're personally displaced. It might mean you don't do that type of job anymore. And so even when I set out in the digital transformation, I mean, we set out, we set up, as you'd imagine, many, many different teams across initiatives like digital mortgage originations and improving our account opening experience um, and making it, you know, five clicks for an existing customer and less than three minutes for a prospect customer that's starting with us, right? And we set out for the mobile app to actually redo the core and make sure it was cloud first, et cetera, et cetera. But when we did it, I didn't say, now let's go hire 200 people and keep them forever doing this. What I said is, let's set up specific missions, let's set up specific teams, and let's presume that they can complete their mission anywhere from a year to two and a half years. And along the way, let's talk about, should they keep doing that or should they pivot to something else? So we that's how we try to talk to all employees about it, right? If you're working in the call center, yes, we're trying to do more things digitally. We want messaging to be the way to go. We want you to do messaging digitally, but we also want the bot to take care of it for us. That doesn't mean you won't have a job. It means you might do that. You might not do that job anymore. And we also share openly that at any time we're evaluating some areas might not need the same resources they needed before. So for us, transparency and leaning into it versus shying away from it. If I go back like 10, 15 years ago, it's the same thing we all did in retail banking where you had branch employees paranoid that if there was a digital channel, you might displace them. It's taking the lessons from when we all went through that and applying it now to everything that we're doing. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back. I am joined today by Melissa Stevens, EVP and Chief Marketing Officer at Fifth Third Bank. Melissa and I have been discussing the digital transformation journey at Fifth Third and how mid-sized financial institutions can become future ready at a time of economic uncertainty. So Melissa, how important is this for financial institutions to share data insights across the organization to drive better experiences and better employee experiences? You know, how do you how do you democratize the data across your organization to make it so that you can actually implement ideas with insights? Yeah, it's listen, it's challenging, right? I mean, in in in, in almost any financial services firm, your data has been in many different places for a really long time. So first, starting with how are we going to bring the right information together in the right way for the right people is a big piece of it. But as we have it and as we're able to do it, and I'll tease out an example, we're helping people see the value of applying it. We, Our CEO likes to say, we want people to make evidence-based decisions, right? But you've got to democratize the data to your point or people don't know that. So the great news is I have a lot of 
examples of succeeding with that at City in my prior life and examples where we didn't get it right, right? And so we're able to say, and I just had this example happen a couple of weeks ago with a client where someone said, I put a mobile check deposit in, pretty significant amount of money because it was a 529 plan and they were getting it paid out so they could pay the college tuition. And it looked like it went through. And then I got an email that it got rejected, right? What happened? And the digital folks would have been in an old world said, I don't know, it looks like everything was fine for me, right? And others would have said, I don't know what could have happened, or maybe it's the vendor or the partner or whatever. But now, because we've actually put logging and monitoring across that experience together, in a matter of an hour, someone was able to say, oh, I see what happened. Because of the type of check it was, it looked okay. It kicked into a manual review queue. It went to this place in operations, and here's what's happened. And then everyone's able to sit down and say, ah, that didn't go the way it should have. What could have been better? What can we change? And how many other clients were affected in the same way? And what's the quick fix? And what's the longer term fix, right? No one individually was doing something wrong there, but without looking at it end to end, we were making a, a what we thought was a great experience in one channel, a not great experience in the end, right? That is just one example. Then if you look at how people are using things, I think in the old days, people say, well, is anybody complaining about it? Otherwise it's okay. Or do we know if people are really using it? Getting to the point where we actually have data and information that we can share and say, we have this many leads, we have this many people that are converting, we have this many people using these services and letting then to your point, customers use that data where it makes sense. And I'll tell you, frankly, we've done more of that on the treasury management side um, than we, we've done it on the consumer side. But we've done a lot of it in the treasury management side. We have some great solutions out there that help people with their accounts payable, accounts receivable, and really empower the client to actually do it with machine learning algorithms behind it. So, because why? If I'm a business owner, I can't be waiting around to figure out why Jim paid me or didn't pay me. And in traditional sense, you would have said, well, Jim is 10 days late, so I should call him. But in reality, we can give them software solutions that say, you know what? It's Leah, who's only two days late, who has never been late, and it's a higher value payment. Go to Leah and get her to pay you first. Don't worry about Jim. It'll come around. It always does, right? That type of data and information yeah. to empower them to use their employees' time in better ways is really what we're going for. So that's a couple examples of how we do it and how we use it. Now, I don't want to claim we've got it solved. We've got a long way to go, but we've identified the highest priority areas for employee information to do their jobs and for client and client information. And we're just churning through it. Well, it's interesting. Digital transformation is not a project. <laughs> it keeps on moving ahead of us. And, yeah. you know, another thing that's not a project is innovation. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, we talk about the importance of speed and scale of innovation. And, and you know, we come from an industry that always did innovation on an annualized basis based on the strategic plan. That's <laughs> no longer acceptable. In fact, right. it's, it's, it's a recipe for failure. How does Fifth Third increase the speed of innovation and in making incremental improvements across the board? It's what you just said about not a project. And I will say to you, when I came here almost seven years ago, I one of the first questions that people that showed up to talk to me asked me is what projects I was working on, right? And in probably two East Coast of an answer, I said, I'm not working on any projects. And if I am, we should be really worried because I don't think that we needed to hire me or relocate a family of five from Manhattan to Cincinnati to work on a project or a couple of projects, right? I'm here to drive a change in how we work. I'm here to move us from project 
to product, right? And that is actually how we do it is we've spent the last several years, and again, we're not done. We spent the last several years what from a technology, from a product for clients, and from the way that we work internally, moving ourselves to more of a product way of working. Why? Because that's an ongoing entity. That's a life cycle. And yeah, at the end of the day, certain products will serve their due and you'll want to sunset them, right? But we didn't have that mentality. We were first launching something. And then I like to say we were launching and leaving and I wanted to launch in love. And one of our executives is known to say back then, um, I feel like if I feel like we might find that on my epitaph, Melissa, because you keep saying I launch and leave. And I said, well, it's your choice how that ends. Right. So we've really tried to move ourselves into launch and love. Right. It's an ongoing entity. It needs care and feeding. And you always need to be. And frankly, we've taken a page from startups and fintechs to teach people how to constantly be focused on that. So I'm not going to claim that we're we're always great at it. I will tell you the largest product that we offer in consumer banking for mass market is Momentum. And the product is as good, if not better than the FinTechs, but backed by a real bank. And it's got thousands of employees standing behind it to service you or talk to you when you need them, right? The thing about that is we had the idea for a really long time and we did not get off the dime quickly enough. But once we finally got ourselves focused and committed and got it out the door, we have brought out new features and functions or pieces of the product literally at, at anywhere between 45 days to 90 days and big, huge improvements along the way. That's an example for us of how we want our employees working all the time. Well, and again, it's like PPP. Once you do something like that, it gives you the power yes. to say, hey, we did it here. Why can't we do it here? We did it. Yes. You know, I, I'm no longer going to accept the fact that it's going to take us about seven to eight months. I, yeah. I, I need it in four weeks or, or different than that. We're not accepting that excuse anymore compliance, technology, whatever it may be. They're, they're, right. they're, they're, you almost can check up, mark them because you know yep. what's going to come up and you sometimes even know who's going to say it in a room. Yeah. You yeah. know, you also realize as many financial institutions do that letting compliance be the last person to touch something is oh. not a great way to get things done. It's better to include them on the front end yes. and get all those things handled up front and make them part of the solution as opposed to just the, the I look back in my days when it was legal and not compliance and legal nowadays says, hey, I'm going to show you what the risk is. You determine what you want to do. They don't make the yep. decision for you, which is really what you need to do. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about AI a little bit. You know, sure. A lot of investments being made in AI, but a lot of it in the past has been made in the fraud and risk areas. Yeah. What areas of fifth third are going to benefit most from investments in AI? And yeah, we have to keep this current. Where do you see Chat GPT playing a role? Uh, um, so I think there's still plenty to do. First of all, AI is, you know, as you know, a very broad category and it can come yeah. in many areas. I, I still think there's plenty, plenty, plenty to do in know your customer, fraud, risk management, fraud prevention. And frankly, it's because folks that do bad things are spending a ton of money getting better and better at it. And so we need to keep applying as much as we can to stay equal or hopefully someday ahead of it. So we got a ton more at our bank and all banks that we could do there. 
there. I also think there's a lot more to do on the automation and using of intelligent automation, whether it's specifically a machine learning algorithm or a different component of, of artificial intelligence to actually just make things flow more easily. Earlier I said, why can't I know where my loan is the way that Domino's Pizza tells me where yep. my pizza is? The reality is those are places we need to apply AI. And again, not because I don't want real human beings doing work. I want them doing higher value work, right? And so I want to enable that by actually applying more models to there. I also think there's a ton, and I'll hit chat GPT, there's a ton on the way that we talk to and service customers. I mean, as the person who runs marketing, I just think it's rich for better personalization. It has been for a long time, and we've all tried a bunch of things. And now we're moving into a cookie-less world where I can't just drop a cookie on your browser and know a few things about you and target you better. I need to really get more sophisticated about that. I need to be able to put hundreds, if not thousands of if then statements in there. If Jim clicks here, if Jim does that, if Jim purchases this thing, it's really complicated. And I think it's ripe for AI. Um, I think of it as a marketer, as an opportunity, but it's also an opportunity for um, the way that we service people. On the chat GPT front, um, you know, as with many things that come out nowadays, I think it's just taking off. Um, we've been, you know, looking at that and not doing anything production wise. There's a lot to figure out, but making sure that we've got people that are that are using it and kicking the tires with it since it launched on November 30th. And, you know, certainly, I mean, I was on this morning actually with one of my colleagues looking at a couple of things and showcasing. And it's like, we have so many people trying to use it. Like you might not be able to use it right now. Right. So there's a lot to figure out from scalability. It's got to catch up in the amount of years of data, right. With the, with, with the number of years of information that's in there right now, the last couple of years uh, still have to be brought to speed. I actually think ChatGPT is going to change the way that many companies work and where industries work and other things like it will do that too. But we've got to be careful. A conversation I've started is what are the um, you know, ethics that we're talking about here. What are the codes that we're putting around that? What is the processes? How do you even check if somebody's doing their job themselves or using chat GPT? I had this conversation with my high schooler recently. Are kids in your school using this? Is it writing their papers? Are they using it as a prompt or are they actually trying to turn in things from chat GPT? So I'm a huge advocate and I think it's going to be a game changer. I think we have to figure out how to capitalize on what it brings, capitalize on how we can scale it, but also make sure that we are again, using that as an augment to humans so that we still bring that human touch and that check and that um, way of working to life. It's interesting, you know, looking at ChatGPT, I think it's going to raise the tide because if you've played yeah. with it at all, you realize it's only as smart as the question that's asked. So in other words, if you don't know how to structure a question to get a good, intelligent, deep answer that really brings value to the equation, you're just going to get an answer like you would have on Google. And sorry to Google, but right now, Google. Yeah. Um, the reality is in the questions that are asked, if you can ask it in new ways, if you can test it in new ways, you're going to get much better answers. And and the people that are naysayers, I say, have you, have you done anything besides ask that one question you're trying to catch it with? Because you're not going to get the right answer. Right. But as you said, if you understand what biases could be brought in there? How do I avoid that? And the way I ask it questions can be very powerful. And I, you ask about your high school, you mentioned about your high school. I, I smile because I sit here and go, geez, wasn't that what we said about calculators during tests? 
You know, that, I mean, I'm sorry, but I took tests where you could not bring a calculator into the test. In fact, right. the only thing you could bring in was a slide rule, which to this day, I don't know how to use. So a lot of it was, <laughs> a lot of it was finger-based and, and handwriting. But, but the reality is, it's, it's how we use it. And yeah. do we need to spend all this time on the writing of thoughts as opposed to knowing what those thoughts are? I'd rather have my son, you know, if he was still in school, know what he was talking about as opposed to spending all the time trying to write it correctly. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, but, you know, we can get in that argument forever around cursive versus script and all that. You, you just, <laughs> and I'm not even sure if those are the same thing, but I, you know what I'm saying there. So, yeah. you know, Melissa, I, I don't want to end this podcast without asking a very, very basic question, but very interesting question. I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You, you've had a lot of different roles at two financial institutions. You've continued to grow your expansiveness of what you're doing and not necessarily in a linear way. You've gone into areas you weren't familiar with. You've gotten out of some areas. You're also a woman. It, it's very clear. Um, banking is not typically, and, and still to this day, um, a woman's world. It's still a man's world. What suggestions would you give to others so that they also can be listed on American Bankers' Most Powerful Women in Banking. Thanks. I mean, you know, I'd say a couple of things, and one of these is is stereotypically not something women are great at. Um, I'm a huge fan of asking for help. Um, and it took me a while early in my career to do that. Um, but when you ask others for help, whether it's in your personal life, your professional life, it actually makes you stronger, right? People want to help each other. We're naturally there. Just like you said earlier, we all hate change, right? It's an animal instinct. We also all as humans, like want to somehow be part of somebody else's success. And so one I'd say is ask for help when you need it, right? And I had a woman talk to me recently who said, I don't know how to do this, but actually said, I'm nervous to tell you that because I don't want you to think I'm not good at my job or I'm not capable, wow. right? But yep. that's a powerful conversation to say there's a difference between asking for help and being incompetent, right? So get your head around that. The second thing is, um, you know, support system, support system, support system, right? Um, I've, I've got a great support system in my life, again, professionally and personally um, that, that I lean on. And that's really, really important for us, right? As I started to have kids, when my third kid was born was when I started traveling globally the most, right? And if we didn't have a great support system between my awesome partner of 25 years and my husband, an amazing childcare giver for our children, and a way that we all work together as equals, that wasn't going to work for me, right? But I also, number three, I'm big into focus, right? I don't actually believe in like work-life balance as a thing. I believe in integration. And so I'm into like when I'm with you right now, I mean, if somebody like had a you know catastrophic situation, I'm sure someone would let me know, but I'm with you now. Similarly, when I'm reading a book with my fifth grader last night, I'm 100% into that story and no one's gonna bother that from a work standpoint um, because that's where I need to be. So that's for me, a little bit of the, you know, how do you do it? You find a way to make it quote unquote all work by actually never being so in one and so in the other or trying to spread yourself too thin. And then in a workplace standpoint, I've had tons of awesome sponsors, male and female. Actually, my first real mentors and sponsors were men who advocated for me. It was, 
it was my one of my first bosses when I was in corporate compensation a long a long way from where I am now who actually gave me the lecture about sitting at the table right and he really explained to me how important it was for me to sit where I needed to be and to tell people the things that I knew and to be an advocate for the things that I was you know intelligent about smart about talented about and so I do think it's about like listening to your sponsors and having mentors and then the last thing and this has been important to me more and more as I've gotten more senior is you got to watch out for others, right? I give this talk and I know other there are other women that give it too. People have spent a lot of time being upset about the old boys club, quote unquote. I always talk about the new girls club, right? I actually think there's a ton that's probably bad in the old boys club. There's a ton that's good. I have watched men work for each other, advocate for each other. One's the boss of one at one company. Three years later, the other one's working for the one that he was working. You know, they just trade around and women weren't always good at that. Now I get why we were fighting to get to the top. And if you were only one, you had to turn around and step on others because the other, there were only one could fit. We're better than that. And we can be better than that. So we have to look back and pull people with us. And we have to demand that there is an open door for everybody to find their way into. So I find myself at this stage of my career, having a lot of those conversations, having people understand how they can be part of the solution. I talk a lot about unconscious bias and you know, I don't fear sharing with somebody, hey, this is how I experienced what just happened. How do we both make each other better so that other women, other people of diversity, and frankly, for me, it's often less male, female. It's more, I'm very different. I say things differently. I talk differently. I walk differently. I decorate my office very differently than a typical corporate person. And so that sometimes comes with, oh, you're just all pizzazz. You don't have any content, right? I don't think it matters if I'm male or female. It's just being dismissed in that way. So I'm. those are some of the things that I do and that I think about. But it's mostly be 100% dedicated to what you're doing when you're doing it so that you can then be 100% dedicated to the next thing. Finally. What are you proudest of over the last seven years at Fifth Third from a corporate standpoint? I would say I am proudest that the people that joined my group in the journey that we are on and the people that came from inside, outside, et cetera, almost every single one of them, whether they're here at Fifth Third or they've gone somewhere in our ecosystem, is doing bigger, better, bolder things and better off in their lives in general, not just professionally, just overall, um, from the things that we've done together. And for me, it's only about enabling other people's lives. That's all that I care about. It's my entire purpose. Um, and that is what I'm most proud of. The things that we've launched, yes, super awesome. But to me, it always comes down to how am I helping someone find their superpower and helping them activate it so that they can actually shine in the places that may matter most to them. So that's really my pride moment. Well, I can already tell you that uh, you will be a uh, guest again in the future. You're an amazing <laughs> guest with a great grasp of what's going on in the banking world. Um, you 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 admit to not having all the answers, but continuously have the inquisitiveness to know that and to keep on asking the questions. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's show, please give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to catch the articles I've written for Financial Brand and check out our research for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassett, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. 
I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, to get digital transformation right requires leadership that is committed to change and willing to engage both customers and employees. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.